Adam, you're on. <laughs> okay, well we'll do, we'll jump on it real quickly here. So um, we'll start with November sixth with uh, our recap of the Blu-rays, and we'll go back to two thousand six for Art School Confidential, with directed by Terry Zweigoff. Don't know what your thoughts were on that one. I was a little I disappointed with that. that. Yeah, yeah me too. especially on the uh, especially on the heels of uh, Ghost World, right? Yeah, uh, right. Yeah, it was and it left Santa. a little to be desired. Yeah, yeah. agreed. Yeah, it's there's, no there's bad Santa. Yeah, I <laughs> know it's no bad Santa for sure. But uh, yeah, so that's being released by MVD Rewind. Well, Superman the movie has been issued on 4K in time for its 40th anniversary release. And uh, they say that it looks terrific, that it looks better than it ever has on home video. Um, This is the original theatrical cut with a brand new seven-channel sound mix, I think. And so it's uh, uh, I'm hearing really, really good things about that. So Superman the movie on 4K in time for its 40th anniversary issue. And, your, your, show um, by, your, your, your episode, by the way, will, it will air by December 18th, which is the anniversary of Superman. Oh, that's terrific. Yeah, yeah, Ray was asking, and I told him I thought we were probably going to do that, time it towards the release. That's perfect. Excellent. Yes, most excellent. So, um, yeah, so as I was saying, the... 2005 version of The Producers with Matthew Broderick and Nathan Lane. Not sure what we want to say about that. Yeah. But <laughs> I thought that was a real missed opportunity myself. Um, it is a movie. It is a movie that uh, that does feel stage bound. Like it, yeah, it didn't it didn't transcend the, into no. the cinematic realm very well. No, it did not. No, and it's, it's some things are better left this place, and that's a good example of it. So, Big Trouble from 2002, that's Kino Lorber release. That's uh, Tim Allen, Rene Russo, and uh, based on a novel, a fiction novel, a work of fiction by Dave Barry, I think his first. But, oh, yeah. Uh, I never got around to seeing that, but generally well regarded, I think. The 1999 film Dick. <laughs> this is the one with Kirsten Dunst Dan and Hell Williams. Yeah. yeah. So that's a that's a Sony release. I remember that being pretty good. It's and, all right. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was okay. There's no extras on that, but uh, it, it's out there. Uh, and here's the uh, Olive Films has issued a collection of Frank Capra's World War II documentaries, which is pretty interesting. It's called Mr. Capra Goes to War, and it uh, has all of the war documentaries that he made during that time. And um, it's interesting to be able to see some of this footage, you know, that was shot firsthand while it was unfolding. So, and if you're a uh, Frank Capra completist, of course, this is. This, well, this is something you must have. So, anyway, just one it's, it's it's what is it? It's all the stuff he shot when he went to World War Two. To... Yeah, he he donated his talents as a filmmaker for the war yeah. during that time, and so he went over and shot a series of documentaries. I think there are about six of them, uh, and they're all collected here in this. Uh, I think some of them are in color as well, but it's called Mister. Was Captain he one of them? 
was he one of them that was uh, profiled in that five came back series? I believe so. Yes, I think he was. Yeah, yeah he. Th- I think. Well, he what was about that P- that Peter Jackson restoring the World War One footage? I um, know. I've heard I, uh, that. That looks to be incredible. I, I definitely want to see that. I was reading an article about that last week, and um, they said he wanted to. He filmed this for in a three D format, I think, and he wanted to issue it that way. But three D's kind of. Petered out a little bit. People aren't going to see 3D movies like they were. It's not the not the hot commodity that yeah. it was. So they're thinking it unless may not ever get. A, uh, unless there's a unless there's a what do they call those things in Spickable Me? Yeah, the uh, the the um, what is this I'm called? I'm lost for words. <laughs> I'm a lost for words. Those little or, things. Yeah, those uh, little things are despicable uh, yeah. to me. If those don't appear in the World War One movie, it shouldn't be in 3D, apparently. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, minions. Your minions, that's it. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't – well, the word wasn't coming to me. That's exactly right. So. Well, the 1955 Western A Man Alone has been issued by Kino Lorber. That's Ray Milland. Uh, is in that, and then he's also in Lisbon, another 1956 uh, adventure film, with also with Maureen O'Hara and Claude Rains. So double, mm. double dose of Ray Milan from Kino. Um, Universal has issued Man's Favorite Sport with Rock Hudson and Paula Prentice. Uh, you know, during that time when Rock Hudson was still playing the. The leading ro- the romantic lead. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, speaking of Rock Hudson and yeah. his favorite sport, <laughs> uh, I I saw I did watch Scotty in the Secret History of Hollywood. Okay. And, quick, uh, quick take on that. Let's hear. And I I kind of liked it more than uh, the King. Uh, I thought it was more successful in its aims, but uh, mm-hmm. I mean not not nearly as impressive in its presentation because the King is yes. Really, really well assembled. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I thought you can. Uh, uh, it is interesting, and, and what it what it sets out to do is uh, say, you know, this stuff was okay. There was no reason for shame, and in the behaviors of these stars that mm-hmm. wanted uh, wanted to engage in uh, this sexual exploits with who they desired. Yeah. Uh, and they were, they couldn't do it because of the Hollywood codes. They would ruin their careers. If, if, uh, Cary Grant or Randall Scott or Catherine Hepburn, Spencer Tracy, if they came out as, as gay. Uh, mm-hmm. now that being said, I mean, there, a case could be made that the movie and Scotty himself are, they're depraved. There, there is a sense yeah. of depravity. Yes. Uh, to the arrangements that he set up. I mean, mm-hmm. when one of the stars that he sets up says, "I want to, I want to suck fifteen men in a row." <laughs> I mean, that's a, <laughs> that's depraved. Yeah, <laughs> There's no indeed, other way to kind of. Uh, but uh, so it, it's it's a juicy, it's a really juicy kind of borderline depraved movie that that ends up in a direction that I think is valuable. Um, in that, uh, in that, the the dangers of stigma, yeah, societal stigma. Sure, yeah, uh, yeah. I thought Scotty was an interesting character himself. You know, he, he's with him 
climb, climbing up on the house at what ninety three years old or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All that daughter. He never around. had any of that. He he never had any of that. Uh, judgment in him. No, not at all. Uh, not at all. Yeah. Yeah. He he's like, hey, uh, I was providing a service that was uh, that nobody else was providing, and this is just the way it was, and that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and 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 the movie does on several occasions. The movie does call him out on why why are you doing this? Why are you uh, exploiting these people after their death and kind of mm-hmm. tarring people's image of them? And I guess his point. Is like why would this tar your image of them? What difference does it make? And I think that's the point of the movie too. That it shouldn't yeah. made any difference. It shouldn't have been a hindrance to their careers. But uh, you know they had an image to project, and yeah. it was a care, care, carefully guarded by the studio. In, yeah, indeed. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, I'm glad you did. But um, well. Another title this month from 1940 is Remember the Night with Fred McMurray and Barbara Stanwyck. I believe that may be a Christmas-themed movie. It's uh, Preston Sturges wrote it. So, no, it's it's not a uh, it's not a Christmas-themed movie. I'm thinking of something else. But anyway, written by Preston Sturges. Um so and there's Tammy and the Bachelor. That's another universal release. Debbie Reynolds, of course. Uh, she made a series of those, and they're gradually putting those out. Um, Alan Alda as a serial killer. Well, or that's kind <laughs> of interesting. in the dark. <laughs> is that the movie? Well, well, no. This is a little different. Actually, he's a mild-mannered university professor who's sentenced to one year in prison for manslaughter, and uh, oh. he's unprepared for prison life. And he, uh, it's anyway. It's a, he has to learn how to kill basically to survive his term. Anyway, Tom Grease or Grise that we yeah. up in conversation oh. he directed this. And it's written by Truman Capote. It's called A Glass House, <laughs> if you can imagine. Oh wow. <laughs> Big Morrow and Truman Capote, Capote man, he he had he had wild ideas. Uh yeah. I mean so, did you ever see his car his Carson when he talks about who he thinks did the Manson killings before they no, I haven't. I bet that's great. It's it's so off. I mean, it's like, and, and he's sitting there like the erudite that he was, and he's pontificating yeah. about who he believes committed the murders, it, like he's an authority. And he did write the greatest true crime book, but of course, that doesn't make him a, 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 a detective. And he's so mm-hmm. completely off base that it's it's funny to watch in retrospect. But uh, I gotta look that up. Yeah, well, this is a Scorpion releasing, by the way, Glass House, for anybody that's interested. And then we have Strange Bedfellows, another Universal release, another Rock Hudson, where he plays the lead, the, the male romantic lead, this time alongside Gina Lola Brigida and Gig Young. So, <laughs> there wow. we go. So, Strange Bedfellows, isn't that an interesting title for a... <laughs> I know, is, is every... Uh... Is every Hudson movie like uh, some kind of a double entendre now? Uh, I know, back? right. <laughs> well, I want to mention... Well, well, uh, what was the Douglas Sirk movie that he did? All uh, the Heaven Allows? All the Heaven Allows? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Is, that, is that what uh, he told Scotty? I want you to give me <laughs> all the men you can. All that Heaven Allows. <laughs> <laughs> what do you need, Rock? All that Heaven Allows. <laughs> 
Oh goodness, that's terrible. That's great, great. Well, the um, one of the few, I think maybe the only film that Stephen King wrote a script directly for the screen is uh, Sleepwalkers from 1992 and directed by Mick Garris oh. and um, Alice Krieg, Brian Krause. <laughs> does have its cult following, and it's out in a new collector's edition from Screen Factory with new audio commentaries with Mick Garris and new interviews with Mick Garris and some of the cast and special effects, special makeup effects team. And So if you're a fan of Sleepwalkers, and I know it does have its fans, there you go. Now, did he write Factory. any of the teleplays? Uh, 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 some of I don't know if he wrote any if any of those are originals though. Um, I think most of those are based mm-hmm. on a lot of, you know like stuff from Night Shift and the Nightmares and Dreamscapes. I know he adapted a lot of those. Okay, because I didn't um, know if he if he was the writer of uh, you know stuff like The Stand and uh, if they yeah, used his wrote- his stuff. Yeah, he did write those teleplays, yeah. Um but I think the Sleepwalkers is it's the only one that's wasn't a novel. It was written, you know, original for, for the screen. I got Yeah, you. an original, I yeah. You. Written directly for the screen is what I meant to say. Probably didn't clarify that well enough. But um so all three the first three Rambo films have been issued in four K. Not sure why they didn't put the fourth one out, but anyway. Yeah. Um, they really, since really the look. Fourth, the fourth one's the for me. It's like one, four, two, three. I agree. Uh, totally agree. You do. Oh, cool. Yeah, <laughs> I, I like the fourth one. I really do. I, I did. I said uh, it was. It, they they did Rambo proud in that one. So uh, yeah. Uh, but these look great. I have to vouch for them. They do look great, and you can find them on sale. I think uh, Best Buy had them a couple of weeks ago for like eight bucks or something. So they're not too expensive mm. if you're looking for 4K upgrade to Rambo, but uh, good stuff if you're a fan of those. And then we got a couple of, uh, well, uh, Warner Archive release here, The Satanic Rites of Dracula, which was the final Christopher Lee Dracula film for Hammer. And this one was actually released in, in Britain in 1973. Three, but it didn't make it stateside until 1979. Um, I don't know why, what the delay was, but anyway, a lot of people aren't even aware that this one exists. But it was it was the final entry. So hmm. uh, if you're a Christopher Lee completist, and I think uh, Warner Archive is slowly issuing these because I know next month they're doing Horror of Dracula, which was the first, and last month they did Dracula AD 1972. So they're gradually coming out. So, Single White Female is a Scream Factory release. Um, so Bobby Schroeder. That's, yeah, Has exactly. Barbara Schroeder, is he still around? I believe so. He's not doing a whole lot, but um, I think he's still around. But mm. this one was a, a, a huge box office success. I think it was kind of a sleeper. People didn't expect it to, yeah. to do that kind of the business that it eventually wound up doing. But um, anyway, I rewatched it, and it holds up you know, pretty well, pretty much what I remembered. And uh, i got to reacquaint myself with Schroeder's career post-Desperate Measures. That was such an oh, yeah. awful movie. Yeah, uh, it was pretty bad. Totally agree. Yeah, I haven't... Uh, 
He did some good stuff, though, before leading up to Single White Female, definitely, and a few after, I think. So, yeah. So a Criterion release is a story from Chikamatsu from 1954. Uh, I can't say a lot about this one because I didn't get a review title on a review copy of this one, but uh, it is a Japanese film. And um, so the Blue Dahlia from 1946. It is a Japanese film. Can you pronounce it? Uh, <laughs> I think I did okay with that one. Uh, a story from oh, what, Chikamatsu. What? Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't. I didn't catch the title. No, it's okay. 1954 story from Chikamatsu from Criterion. The Blue Dahlia from 1946 is a Shop Factory release. Wow, wow. And that stars Alan Ladd and Veronica Lake. It's one of their the Shop Select. Yeah. For those, for those murder fans out there, mm-hmm. the Blue Dahlia was a popular movie at the time of the Black Dahlia murder. That's right. And the Black Dahlia moniker was not invented by the press. It was it was actually invented by uh the owner of a like a mom and pop store that <clears throat> Elizabeth Short used to go into because she had black hair and she always wore flower and everything. And so the owner of that shop, calling upon the popularity of the blue dahlia, called her the black dahlia. Mm-hmm. You know, before her death, like you know, significant before her death so when someone from the press interviewed this clerk he told them that and then that became how they would identify her a little trivia very interesting story for anybody who doesn't know the history of that but yeah it's uh i think it's the first time that it's ever been issued on blu-ray but it's a shout select one of their special edition lines kind of like their 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 version of the Criterion collection. So um mm. so Dances with Wolves is another one of their shout selects. I believe it's a in still book collector's edition and got the two cuts of the movie. I think it's the first time the theatrical version has ever been issued on Blu-ray because it's usually just the longer version and some new extras there, a few new things. And then we have the 1971 film, first time ever on home video, I believe. Uh, legitimately, anyway, the last movie with uh, directed huh. by yeah. Dennis Hopper, and of course, starring Dennis Hopper. The infamous last movie has gone through a 4K restoration, and uh, this is a movie that um, is kind of infamous, right? <laughs> yeah. The big follow-up to infamous for being so so out of control. Yeah, you know, Hopper was out of control. Therefore, the movie was out of control. Yep. But there are uh, there are a segment of movie lovers that swear by it as an unheralded masterpiece, and there are many others who say it's one of the most boring experiences you'll ever have watching a movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, yeah, I haven't seen it. I have not. I, it's it's a blind spot for me, but uh, I definitely want to just because of its legendary status and the controversies and all that. Nice extras to go along with it too, and uh, I've seen some screenshots of the the transfer, and it looks pretty spectacular for a movie that's been missing for so long, only available in bootlegs for many years. And so we have two other releases from Kino: The Interpreter which uh, featured the final score for 
Marvin Hamlish, I think, or one of Marvin Hamlish's final scores, not the, the final score. That was the, the Sidney Pollock thing? Yeah. With Nicole Kidman? Yep. Mm-hmm. And huh. uh, I think that's Marvin Hamlish. Well, anyway, it's the Nicole Kidman, Sean Penn. And um, then we also have The Ice Harvest with John Cusack, which came out the same year. Yeah. So both of those isn't, are uh, Isn't that the last narrative film from Pollock? Yes, it is. Yeah, he did the documentary, The Sketches of Frank Gehry, and that was the, the last one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So three years before his passing. Uh, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, too soon. I think he had probably had more good films in him. He was still and, and I think performances. He, yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. Uh, he was well, a very smart we, actor, uh, and and you could tell that he chose his roles based on who was directing him. Because mm-hmm. he worked with because he wanted to learn from those directors. I mean, when you consider the the uh, the filmmakers that he did work with as an actor, it's pretty impressive. Oh yeah, Woody Allen, Kubrick, and just yeah, those are a couple others. Yeah, he was he he really brought it brought it to the table when he was acting as well. Yeah, you're exactly right, and and he directed himself, of course, in Tootsie. So mm-hmm. he did okay there too, not bad. Even though he didn't want to. Yeah, he had to out of necessity, wasn't begrudgingly. He? Yeah, who was the original? Who was the one that dropped out? I can't I remember. Forget, was... I forget who was originally supposed to play that part, and he stepped in because Hoffman kept yeah. saying, "You should play it. You should play it." And he was originally <laughs> like, "Okay, fine." Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, how about Nicholas Cage and Wind Talkers? <laughs> how about it? How about it? Well, MVD Visual has released that uh, in two John Woo's cuts. John Woo's yeah. World War II co-breaking movie. That's right. Yeah, also starring Mark Ruffalo. <laughs> yeah. Well, so Spike Lee's School Days has been issued. I think first time on Blu-ray, 30th anniversary edition, uh, Blu-ray plus digital HD. And um, so we also have a couple of Warner Archive releases here. Tarzan's Greatest Adventure, which is directed by... John Gillerman. <laughs> wow. The old John Gillerman, 1959. Uh, it's, it's the only uh, – you don't normally associate John Gillerman and Tarzan t- together, but they did. And Gordon, this is the one with Gordon Scott, and a lot of it's, – it's remembered by film buffs as being one of the first films of Sean Connery as well. So uh, I think he plays oh. one of the four British villains who raid the the settlement to obtain explosives for a use in a diamond mine where they uh, Tarzan pursues them to the mine or something of that nature. But yeah, early Sean Connery appearance in yeah. Tarzan's greatest a sign of, a sign of the promise to come. That's right. <laughs> so uh, and the other Warner Archive release I want to talk about is the Bogart and Bacall collection, which puts together all of their films that they made for Warner Brothers all in one place, which is pretty dantial. Mm. There's four titles here. And um, it's a must for for fans of the work that Bogey and Bacall did together for Warner Brothers. It has To Have and Have Not, The Big Sleep, Dark Passage, Key Largo, uh, new four, uh, new um, you know, high-def transfers and extras on each disc. So there you go, nice. Bogart and Bacall. um Collection from Warner Archive. 
Then we have one of Ed Wood's final films, Take It Out in Trade, from 1970. <laughs> Which is essentially how he financed his films. <laughs> that it is. But it's from the AGFA label, A-G-F-A, from, uh, huh. like I said, 1970. And... Um, we have nothing. Or I'm sorry, the Gingerbread Man from 1998. Altman. Yeah, yeah. Altman. That's right. Kino Lorber. Interesting released. movie. Yeah. Inter- interesting to see him try his hand at a Grisham thriller. Yeah. The. Yeah, I don't know about that one. It, <laughs> when, uh, I don't know because uh, I mean Coppola. Coppola, when he did The Rainmaker, I mean, Coppola's so invested in story yeah. Um, that The Rainmaker really – he brought out the very – you know, more than that book deserved. Mm-hmm. But Altman, uh, not so loyal to story or the writers. And so when he tries his hand at a, you know, like a mainstream kind of Grisham-type plot, I, I don't know how I feel about it. Kind of boring, kind of bland. Yeah, I thought so too. Yeah, I wasn't overly impressed with it. I thought it wasn't not one of his weaker, uh, strongest moments. And uh, I think it was during that time when he was having he he had to have the heart transplant. Yeah. So I think that that might have played into it because he they said he was really having. I read the uh, the oral uh, history of or the oral biography or whatever of. You know Altman, and they said that was he was really his energy was zapped, and because of really? the heart okay. problems, yeah, and he well, just was I mean, barely like making that, it. I, that might explain some of it, but I uh, it is an interesting film just for that dynamic, I guess, uh, with Altman yeah. and Grisham, and and it returned uh, Altman with Robert Duvall, who was in Mash, and uh, I think mm-hmm. Robert Duvall does not like Mash. Uh, but uh, I don't think so. Nevertheless, mm-hmm. nevertheless, he went back to Altman for one of his mm-hmm. most uh, most unhinged performances. And uh, <laughs> yeah, and uh, and Kenneth Kenneth Branagh tells a great story that it's like a typical direction from Altman. Altman was like, "Okay, it's all going to be one take. We're going to follow you with the camera. You're going to be walking in front of the camera, and we're going to follow you as you walk through this crowd, and you're going to go into this home, and the phone's going to ring." And I want you at the end of your long dialogue with all the crowd and everything you're walking through, and I just want you to answer it. And he's like, well, who's on the phone? He says, he doesn't, you don't need to know that. Just say anything when you pick up the phone. <laughs> so <laughs> it was, it was a typical Altman, like uh, thriving on spontaneity, yeah, <laughs> setting sure. the actor ill at ease a little bit, you know, God, I better be on my toes here. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, I'd uh, I'd be interested in going back to revisit it, but I think he after he got the heart transplant, he kind of was reinvigorated, and he, you know, that's when he did Gosford Park and Cookie's Fortune, which I think are two pretty good late career pieces. Mm. So, you know, I think that gave him a new lease on life, at least, and um, you know. So uh, speaking of Grisham, though, and well, speaking of Gosford Park, that's another release this month, actually, from Arrow. They've done a Arrow Films has, has done a, a a new special edition on Gosford Park. And, nice. Um, so uh, it's funny Keep that Altman would turn alive. up. Exactly. That's what I exactly. say. And then uh, speaking of Grisham, here's another Grisham, The Chamber with 
Gene Hackman, of course, and Chris O'Donnell. Uh, it's one of those movies. <laughs> it's one of those movies where a really good performance stuck in a terrible fucking movie. Oh yeah. Uh, I swear to God, James Foley is the most confusing director. Uh, because he'll come out, he'll do At Close Range and Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, and then he'll do the, the Fifty Shades of Grey movie and The Chamber. Uh, yeah, I know. But, well, where are you, man? <laughs> but uh, yeah, the chamber. I, uh, I, Chris O'Donnell should not have been placed in front of such acting legends. I'm sorry. <laughs> he, he he he's never up to. He was never up to the task. No, not especially. Not he didn't even case. know who Gene Hackman was when he signed on to do the movie. Oh, Jesus! Like you're serious. You're serious about acting, and you don't know who that. So he went back and looked oh. at some of those movies. The same thing with Pacino and Sin of a Woman. Oh, my God. Why are you wanting to be an actor? These are the two greatest that have ever lived. Oh, boy, my opinion on him just really changed radically with that statement. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Mm. And there's a great Mm. scene, uh, uh, and we talked about it when we had the actor Raymond J. Barry on the show. Mm Mm-hmm. it's a great scene between he and Hackman when Hackman's on death row for the bombing and yeah. Barry, Barry is the head of the KKK, I guess. And, uh, they have a conversation and he was talking about Hackman and he said, you know, Hackman's obviously the best there has ever been, but we had no discussion. We just went to work. We sat down and we went to work and it was good. We got that conversation done a couple of takes. It was no bullshit. And then you know, I just left. <laughs> there, <laughs> were, there, there were no kind of he was he was pleasant, and he was respectful, but there was no right. nice things yeah. or effort to make small talk. Hmm. Very interesting. Well, here's another one of those early '90s indie films that Arrow has chosen to release: Gas Food Lodging. Uh-huh. Whatever happened to her, uh, Alex Anders? Anders? Yeah. Whatever happened to She's her? She's active on active on Facebook. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I think I do see some of her stuff crop up from time to time. But yeah, she's. Uh, I don't recall any recent movies. But she was that, you yeah. know, part of that uh, that Tarantino uh, pack yeah. when they all were, you know, they did the four rooms together and all that. Yeah. So the Wizard of Gore has been issued by Arrow as well. 1970. That's a Herschel Gordon Lewis. So for horror fans, they can rejoice for another Herschel Gordon Lewis that's being released separately from that box set that. Spanned his entire career. And um, so we have that. And uh, so moving along, we also have here, let's see, I'm trying to find my place where I was at. We have Some Like It Hot. That's what we have from Mm -hmm. Criterion, which came out on November 20th. And that was a Criterion Laserdisc, if you remember, years ago. But uh, they've Surprisingly, never issued that on DVD or Blu-ray until now. I uh, nice understand pa- it looks beautiful. Yeah, I could uh, I could imagine that it that it would. I I may have a, I supposedly have a uh, review copy in route. Didn't get a chance to look at it before the show, so hopefully it'll get here soon. But nice batch of new extras and and uh, you know the Criterion, the normal stuff we expect from Criterion. So. Um, you know, just want to mention that, and this is one that is I do have, and it's quite 
amazing is the Ingmar Bergman Cinema box set, which is a career-spanning box set of Ingmar Bergman in celebration of his or commemoration of his 100th birthday. And it's every film he made, with the exception of one, between 1946 and 2003. They couldn't get the rights to Face to Face, which is the movie that uh, infamously, uh, or famously, I should say, uh, Woody Allen and Diane Keaton are going in to see in Annie Hall. That's Face to Face. Mm. That's the one movie that's not included in the collection because they couldn't secure the rights to it. It's owned by a different company. Uh, that's the one where you know where Woody says that he... Um, we can't go into a movie because the credits have already started or whatever. <laughs> it's over. And, yeah. Uh, you know, all that stuff. The one where they're standing in line. Uh, yeah, but, uh, and I'd like to have had that in the collection. But other than that, it's got everything pretty much. It's comprehensive, multiple cuts of several movies, and just a beautiful, huge box with a, a book that's several hundred pages long. Um, just everything you'd want in a collection from of Ingmar Bergman films, new 4K transfers on some of the titles, and uh, just really, really spectacular. Uh, the price tag is $2.99 retail, but they were having a sale at Barnes & Noble, where you could get it for $1.50, so I don't know how long that's going. That may be done by now, but anyway, I'm yeah, sure they'll have so. a sale again before you know it. So Candyman has been issued by Scream Factory. <laughs> but, We've got yeah. some... Ingmar Bergman, the Candyman. That's a, yeah, that's, a, that's what we call diversity with a capital D. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So Candyman has actually been a very requested title among horror fans on uh, High mm-hmm. Def. And there was a rights issue, I believe, but they got all that ironed out, the, the, guy, the people at Scream Factory. And it's, uh, it's, two, it's a two-disc set with a theatrical cut and the unrated cut. And uh, the unrated cut's just a little bit more violent, of course. But there's all kinds of new interviews and audio commentaries and just too many of them to mention here. But yeah, there's a, a lot of love out there for Candyman. Oh, yeah. Um, that I I remember it being received a little bit better than your normal horror movie when it came out. But uh, it I was. think that legion of fans have grown over the years. Yeah, yeah, indeed. I think it's okay, personally. I I wasn't over the moon about it way back when, and I watched it again, and uh, my feelings are pretty much the same. But I can understand why some people do love it, and there are some good moments in it. um, But two other Screen Factory releases, or these are, yeah, the Screen Factory, I'm sorry, uh, Urban Legends and Urban Legends Final Cut. Mm. So two more for the horror fans out there. Uh, The Urban Legends is a two-disc set with... New extensive interviews uh, with the director Jamie Blanks and cast crew and much, all, and a whole lot more. And then the second one was directed by John Ottman, you know, who collaborates with Brian Singer on a lot of his films. He composes yeah. scores and edits and all that stuff. So the, he participates in a lot of the extras here. I didn't know he directed there. that. He sure did. Yeah. Um, interestingly huh. enough, but uh, yeah, so. You got uh, Urban Legends and Urban Legends Final Cut, Young Guns Two from 1990. <laughs> uh, I'm assuming Young Guns is already out, but and it's probably owned by rights are owned by a different company. But anyway, uh, and then The Outer Limits Season Two, which Season One was released earlier this year, back in March, I believe, from Kino, and they did a, a 
terrific job on the first volume. And so the second season has now been issued with the, the remaining episodes from 1964 to 65. Lots of new extras, new commentaries. Uh, here's one you hopefully remember fondly. I know I do. The Last Seduction from 1994. Oh, gosh, yeah. John Dahl. Yeah, this is the first time this movie's ever been issued in America in its widescreen format. It was 1.33 to 1, uh, the square frame, not really sure why, but it's never been issued correctly until now. This is, uh, for fans of The Last Seduction, which I am, I think it's a terrific movie. Uh, there's deleted scenes and commentaries and just all kinds of extras. And, wow, uh, good. I had per- John, I purchased John Dahl, it would be, it'd be great if John Dahl... If there's a resurgence of appreciation for his for his early work, but I oh, haven't yeah. seen the last seduction since it was it came out in theaters in '94 uh, or whatever year it was. Like '94, uh, that's right. I I haven't been able to see it again, so it's been you know twenty some odd years for me. Oh, it's still great. I watched it again recently, and it holds up beautifully. It's still terrific. I'd forgotten some of the twists and turns in it, you know, because it'd been so long and. Oh well, it's it's great. It really is, and uh, such a great role action. for her, for Linda Fiorentino. Oh, yeah. And I I remember her getting a lot of acclaim for it because it was such a great role. Mm-hmm. And then she capitalized on it, I guess, probably at the request of her agents or whatever, by doing Men in Black. And it just yeah, seemed right. like, no, that's not where you belong. You know. That's right. Yes, she did. Wasn't she in Jade? Wasn't she in that? Or... Oh, God. Yeah, and she's in the, uh, another John Dahl, the the one where, oh, I can't think of the name of it. It's um, un, it's un something or other, but I can't, I can't remember oh, yeah. what it I is. Oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. It, it, it's like uh, it's like Unforgettable or something. Unforgettable, uh, that's it. That's the one. I was drawing a blank. Yeah. When, in fact, it was entirely forgettable, as we've just proven. Yes, indeed, it was. Yes, indeed. Yeah, but and John Dahl, like the, old, like the old-style noirish, new noir combo of Red Rock West and, uh, and Last Seduction, uh, I mean, that was a lot of promise there. And I, I don't know what he's been up to. I think he's been doing a lot of TV, maybe. Yeah, I think so. But yeah, those are uh, those, those are great, great movies, and um, I, uh, I I'd like to see a return to form for him with something like that. I this is this came out years ago in a, a UK special edition with a director's cut, which is about twenty minutes longer, and I bought the one yeah. years ago. Uh, so I've had it a while, but I'm just glad they released it stateside. Finally, that's a Scorpion release, by the way. And Shout Factory, here's another one of their Shout Selects. And we were talking earlier about Bohemian Rhapsody. Well, here's the 1954 equivalent to that, the Glenn Miller story starring James Stewart and June Allison. So, really? Is that the, is that the uh, equivalent of Bohemian Rhapsody? <laughs> as far as how much basis in truth there is in it, uh, yeah, it's pretty equal. It's uh, it's right on right on par with Bohemian Rhapsody. Both of them are complete works of fiction using a real life person uh, oh, okay. or a band. Right. In the case of, <laughs> but uh, Jimmy Stewart, right? Yeah, Jimmy Stewart, June Allison. Yeah, but if you're a fan of the Glenn mm-hmm. Miller story and uh, you you want to see a fictitious film about uh, the uh, the life of that band leader, well, there you go. 
And so, uh, because God knows the real story wasn't that interesting, I'm sure. <laughs> I know he disappeared, right? The plane went down. They never found his body. So I guess right. that's the way the movie ends, maybe. I don't know. How about Bright Lights, Big City, Michael J. Fox, MVD Visual released this one. The final it, it film. Car- for- it carries over the commentary from Gordon Willis, doesn't it? I believe so, yes. And this is the final film for James Bridges, too, uh, You know, a great mm. filmmaker. Tracy Pollan, his future wife, was in this, too, as well as Phoebe Cates and Swoozy Kurtz and Kiefer Sutherland. So, yeah, I, I hear that that commentary is really instructive. I wish there was a way to not uh, – well, I wish there was – you know, because there are some sites that these things pop up on, but not commentaries. Like the movie might pop up on a site, but yeah. not the commentary. Um, so I kind of like Bright, Bright Lights, Big City, uh, and I have vivid recollections of seeing it because it did come out at that time when drug – Rehab movies with the thing. Uh, yeah, like uh, clean and sober. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there, there was a kind of a new movie every couple of months for a while mm-hmm. that was drug sure. related because it was kind of a new epidemic that society was waking up to at the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this one was okay. I I know that Michael J. Fox got a lot of flack for it because, <clears throat> and I there is a great that I posted on our Movie Geeks United Facebook page, a great uh, New York Times piece that was written during the production of it. It's a very long mm-hmm. article, and it goes through the problems that that movie underwent and that there was a looming director strike, so they had to get it done if they were going to do it at all. Yeah. But uh, the original plan of Joel Schumacher directing and Tom Cruise starring, it just never gelled. <laughs> yeah. And so they brought in... Jay Fox and Bridges is like a last minute Mia Culpa or, or uh, Hail Mary. And um, they got it done in a hurry. But then, then I read a review of it that the LA Times did. They said, Michael J. Fox is just completely wrong for this. You, you don't believe it when he's snorting cocaine. You don't believe him as an addict. And uh, I kind of felt like, well, yeah, exactly. This isn't who this person should be. He's He's not He's not who you'd expect this. He's out of his element as a as yeah, a character. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, and it's sad that that was the final film for James Bridges too, because yeah. you know he kind of didn't he didn't go out on a very high note, uh, and that wasn't long after he had directed the debacle Perfect with uh, John Travolta. <laughs> So he wasn't having. He wasn't having a perfect. Very good, perfect uh, is on Amazon Prime, and I've I've thought uh, about watching it again. Uh, enter at your own risk. <laughs> it's just it's just great when, has you know, infamously bad movies have the perfect title. Like oh yeah. Perfect. Exactly. Very true. Good point. So. Um, Okay, here's a trivia question. The uh, Anthony Hopkins won his Academy Award for Silence of the Lambs, of course, and what was the first film to be released after his Academy Award win? It's a good trivia question. Was it that Cuba Gooding Jr. movie? No. Uh, this one had Mick Jagger in it and Emilio Estevez. Free and, Jack? Uh, yes, <laughs> <Really>? it was. <laughs> the first film to be released after his Oscar win. Free Jack, 1992. So, wow, that's a Sony release, and um, 
So Holy Motors, the 2012 film, has been issued in another Shout Selects uh, issue, one of their special editions, collector's editions from Shout Factory, and also Robin and Marion, which features the exquisite John Barry score. This is a Sony mm. Pictures release with Sean Connery, Audrey Hepburn coming back to acting after, I think, about a six- or seven-year layoff, maybe longer. And um, so this was the movie that they brought her back for, or she was enticed to come back for. It's a movie, of course, about what happened to Robin and Marion as they entered middle age. Uh, Robin Hood, that is. So Cabaret, believe it or not, had gone out of print. Well, no longer. Warner Archive has reissued Cabaret from 1972. Of course, the how, how did that happen? I know, right? It was, ju- what I was, it was just a few. Um, like, uh, in uh, they did they did do a special edition of they it did? in the 2012. 2012. It went for the, yeah, yeah, and then it went out of print. But now Warner huh. Archive has brought it back, so it's available. Um, then we have uh, here. Here's a movie I always liked, uh, and I haven't seen it in a while. Might feel differently about it, but The Last Supper from 1995, which I thought was a clever premise about this group of uh, young twenty-somethings who invite people of different political persuasions to dinner. If they disagree with them, they murder them and bury them in the backyard. It's a, kind of a dark, dark comedy. Um, Cameron Diaz is in it, Annabeth Gish, Courtney B. Vance, Bill Paxton, huh. uh, Ron Perlman. It's uh, Ron Perlman plays a, like a pseudo Rush Limbaugh type, I guess. And Jason Alexander is also in it. And uh, Nora Dunn. Jason Alexander. He got around. Yeah, he did. This is good, though. I, was watching, I, I think it's, Yeah. I was so watching anyway, the remake of Prom, uh, Prom Night the other night. Ah, <laughs> yeah. And uh, Shia LaBeouf's in it, mm-hmm. and uh, Idris Alba plays the detective in it. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> Prom night? <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. It's funny. I'd forgotten about that, yeah. So a couple of uh, Twilight Time releases, The True Story of Jesse James, uh, Oklahoma Crude, Anthony Anthony, mm. and Cleopatra. All three of those are coming from Twilight Time, released on the 20th. And Twilight Time now has a sister label who have issued their first release, a TV movie from 1973 that was the highest-rated TV movie at its time, Sunshine, which featured the music of John Denver and uh, actually spawned a top 40 single from its soundtrack uh, that climbed into the top 20 in early 1974, a song called My Sweet Lady and performed by the... Uh, the the male lead in that film, Cliff DeYoung, but anyway, it's about a woman dying of cancer and her her uh, her husband and daughter dealing with that and her uh, battle to enjoy her uh, last days and be as happy as possible. But it's it's an uplifting movie. It's not as depressing as it sounds, and it was like I said, very very well received at the time and first time ever on video. So I was glad they put that out. It looks great. I looked at it the other night and it's a beautiful looking a 4k restoration of a tv movie is interesting so <laughs> wow um and then we're getting and then to of the course end. and then we I, I would imagine like the next biggest tv movie was brian's song 
Yeah, it's probably also, they, yeah. also a deathbed movie. Uh, that it was, yeah. They uh, Sony released that on DVD years ago, and they did do a high def transfer on regular DVD, but no no Blu-ray. So yeah, mm. a couple of horror films here. Mausoleum is from uh, Vinegar Syndrome. That's been yeah. issued. Uh, the The Children from 1980 and Beware My Brethren. Those are all Vinegar Syndrome titles for anybody who's uh, interested in those. And um, and then we move on to November 27th, which was this past Tuesday, and The Magnificent Ambersons has finally made it to Criterion with some of the extras, including participation from Joseph McBride, among others. Lots of documentaries, lots of uh, stories about what had happened and uh, you know, it's the legendary film that was recut when Orson Welles was overseas shooting a documentary, his follow-up to Citizen yeah. Kane. We all know that. So, um, But anyway, um, it has finally made its way to Criterion. It's and, uh, we're a weird, strange movie. It is a truly brilliant movie until it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm I'm very sore about that movie. Like I feel defensive <laughs> of, of Orson Welles, you know, uh, on behalf of that movie, and mm-hmm. but on behalf of all movies, on, on behalf of film history. Yeah, and I and I hear I hear Robert Weiss defending his position of cutting that stuff out of it, uh, and uh, sell bullshit. Um, yeah, you know, I I I do think he's a villain in this. And where did the footage right. go? You have you have all this footage shot by Orson Welles, and you you didn't save it. You didn't, you know, attempt to, you know, save it in any way. Is it just burned? Yeah, sure. Oh, I know. God. Yeah, that's unthinkable. Unthinkable. Yeah. Uh, that's uh. Wonder if that's on his his headstone. The man who threw away the footage from Magnificent Ambers. <laughs> It should be. In spite of everything else that that man accomplished that's, that's in his right. career. doesn't say director of Sound of Music or any of that. It just says uh, the man who threw away the missing Magnificent Ambersons footage. <laughs> it makes me uh, sick. It does. It really does. So Scream Factory has issued uh, the, cri- the Critters collection, which has all four of the Critters <laughs> films. The first one, of course. So now we've gone from Magnificent Ambersons to Critters. Yeah. yeah. Well, like I said, we're we're all about variety on this show. So uh, yeah, these um, you know, again, this is one of those things that people have been clamoring for the horror community. So they finally gotten them and nice new transfers and terrific extras on all of them, and they do look good if you're a fan of those movies. Uh, the first one's fine, and you know, but. Uh, yeah. You know, they kind of, with anything, you know, the quality decreases as they go on. But anyway, just want to make sure people knew there is a four-disc box set of the Critters films. And speaking of Altman, we just were talking about him, and I failed to mention that Brewster McCloud has been issued by Warner Archive. Wow. So it's an oddball kind of month. There's an oddball movie. (laughs) What's your opinion on that one? I like it fine. It's not, it's not a movie that comes to mind when I think of my favorite Altman's. Mm-hmm. But he was such a such a he could not pigeonhole Robert Altman. 
because his uh, his filmography is really divided into these epic takes on a segment of American culture um, with really oddball, hallucinogenic, dreamlike, artsy fartsy efforts. You know? Yeah. It's uh, it's a weird. It's a the totality of his career. It's it's all over the map, and it's it's what makes him so great. Partially. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. And this was the follow up to Mash, of course, which was a huge hit. Let's uh, let's uh, you yeah. know, mention, put that in context. I guess it was the one wedged between Mash and McCabe and Mrs. Miller. So. And, well, what uh, is your number one Altman? What is your number one Altman? Ooh, that's tough. Gosh, I love Nashville so much. It's always hard to get past that one. But there's, it's like choosing between your children. That's um, goodness okay, gracious. Okay, well, which McCabe. child? Which child do you like the best? Uh, <laughs> probably McCabe. Uh, Nashville number one. Probably McCabe number two. And uh, I'm a big fan of Shortcuts as well. That's that's in the top five. And ooh. Let's see. I love Cookie's Fortune, believe it or not. That's one of my favorites, too. I, I don't know why yeah. that one's so high for me, but I just love that movie. Um, gosh. I'm glad I'm, he, I'm to... glad he went out on a good one, because I do think Prayer Home Companion is a good one. I mean, Oh, I, me too. I, That's uh, terrific. I think it's in his top ten. I mean, mine is yeah. McCabe, obviously, number one. But, uh, you know... Uh, I've grown more and more fond, especially in this last viewing of the Long Goodbye. Like I, I really oh, do yeah, think that's be a top, top three Altman. Yeah. yeah, that'd be my fifth. Absolutely. Yeah, that would be the other one, and probably right above that, uh, California Split. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Man, he was on a roll there. Sure was. And God, I love Three Women. God, I forgot about that. That's yeah. Jeez. Man, I can't pick. There's <laughs> no way. I know. It's impossible. It's, images. Uh, I, God. I like images. I hate I hate that we lost Robert Altman. I mean, I realize yeah. that he was, he was in his 80s, but I hate that we lost him. I know. I know. If you could have just uh, – yeah, that that's a guy you wanted him to find some kind of cure for old age. So <laughs> for no other reason, so yeah. he could pump out the movies. So, yeah. Mm. yeah. And who's his heir apparent? I mean, I know that nobody. I know that there are there are people that admired him, and obviously Paul Thomas Anderson was very helpful to him in the later years. But uh, yeah. I don't think there I don't think there's anyone that brash or bold as he was. No. Yeah. I mean, it's, it seemed like Paul Thomas Anderson was moving in that direction at one point, but I think he's kind of went. He's gone a different path since then, and I don't think that's that's going to happen. But. Um, yeah, and so, you want filmmakers to be to be themselves, but sure, yeah, you know, there, there there is a void there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. So the 1986 film directed, I think the only film directed by David Byrne, maybe Criterion released True Stories. Criterion uh, did. Wow. Yeah, Criterion has released True Stories. David Byrne of the Talking Heads, in case anybody doesn't know, the lead singer of the Talking Heads. Yeah. Now, is Criterion is. Stop making sense. Is that under the Criterion banner too? Or? No, that is not. They don't have the rights to that. That's. Uh, I think that I can't remember who's got the rights on that, but they have not issued that. Although they should, yeah, it would make sense. So yeah, we have a 4K release in the 25th anniversary of Philadelphia. Oh. Of course, Denzel and Tom Hanks. 
And um, Zombie, the 1979 Zombie, Fulci, Fulci, that's been issued with a new 4K restoration. And and, uh, just a couple more titles. We're right at the end here. Uh, We talked about uh, Critters earlier. Well, how about Munchies? (laughs) Munchies has been issued as well. Um, And then... uh, when you think about musicals, you don't think about Lucille Ball, but she tried in 1974 with her musical version of Mame, also starring B. Arthur. That's a Warner Archive release, which I think did fairly well at the box office at the time, but it's, it was critically uh, reviled when it came out, and I don't think it's uh, I don't think it fares much better nowadays. But I have never seen it. Uh, my copy hasn't gotten here yet, but. I would, I don't know about a 1970s era Lucy being able to belt out those tunes. I'm curious to hear that, but that could be interesting if nothing else. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I have nothing to say we, about that. Yeah, well, we have a pair of of uh, Robert. Yeah, I do have, I do have a movie on my TiVo, mm-hmm. Lucille Ball. I don't know how old it is. It's called Lord. Lord, as in you lure someone. It's uh, an American dancer played by Lucille Ball living in London helps Scotland Yard identify a murderer. Now that one's a new one on me. I was like, well, what the hell? Lucille Ball in a a thriller? (laughs) Yeah, right. I remember one of the last movies she made, she played the bag lady. In a, a 1985 movie where they were taking it's one of those social consciousness movies about the plight of the homeless. And yeah, people. right. I can't remember the name of it, but I just I remember there were uh, it was kind of yeah there were a lot of jokes going around about that, but <laughs> inappropriate ones. Um, yeah, a, couple, a pair of Robert Aldrich movies, The Killing of Sister George and The Grissom Gang, have both been issued. Uh, Killing of Sister George from 68 and Grissom Gang from 71. Those are Kino Lorber issues. And, and the MDV Rewind label has issued Basic Instinct 2. <laughs> really? Well, they, did, they didn't rewind far enough. Basic yeah. Basic Instinct 2. This is true. Well, we, well, we, they did redeem themselves maybe with this next one, and we'll end with this one. This is one we talked about, and it has finally materialized. Memories of Me from 1988. <laughs> <laughs> MVD Rewind has issued this one as well. We we wanted it. They heard us and put it out, I guess. So. Okay. Well, all is forgiven. 